Welcome to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina. I'm so happy to have Mariana Saxe here today. She's the founder of Jackalo, which is long-lasting, sustainable clothing for active kids, which looks like such an amazing brand. And I'm really excited to connect with you today, Mariana, to hear more about how you're doing this. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So I always like to just kind of get started by like telling us how you started this company, where the idea came from, and a little bit about what the journey has been like for you. Sure. So. I have two kids. I'm a mom of two kids. I've got a 10-year-old son and a three-year-old. And when my 10-year-old son was little, um, really starting around age four, I noticed that he was wearing through his pants really quickly. You know, you start kids slow down their growth a little bit when they hit age four. And so they start wearing clothes a little longer. But I found that the clothes wouldn't stand up to him for even a week or a month. He was just blowing through the knees of everything. Maybe he's just really active. (laughs) But I noticed that a lot of parents were having the same issue. So I'm part of a Facebook group for alumni from the college I went to. And all of these parents are saying, you know, my kids' pants keep getting holes in the knees. Where can you get clothes that last? And when I started to look into it, I found that the clothes that are branded as more durable often don't meet my like sustainability or ethical values. Hmm. Um, so they may be made from materials that are polluting or cause pollution in over the course of their use. They may be made in, you know, unfair work environments, or they may be made by companies that actively support political causes or social causes that I, that I personally don't support. So I really found like I, I couldn't find a company that I felt good about investing in for my kids. And because of that, I decided that there, that there's a little bit of a hole in the market, that there is a space for environmentally conscious families to get garments that they need that will stand up to their active kids. And I previously was not working in the fashion industry. I'd spent about 15 years working in public health and uh, social work. So really focused on the social change side of the world. But I'd spent my childhood and my young adulthood making. So I learned my I'm a third generation sewist. Oh, wow. My mother taught me to sew when I was really young. She taught me to knit. And her mother uh, sewed and knit as well. And it's a kind of culture of making that has oftentimes been lost, you know, that our parents generation often didn't keep that up. And I'm lucky enough that I had that all through my childhood and into my young adult years. And when I realized that there was this hole in the market, I also realized that this was the perfect way for me to blend my creative side with my social change focus side. And so I brought the two together under the brand name of Jackalope. Wow, that's awesome. So did you start you started out making them by hand? Kind of like did you start like try to figure out what kind of fabrics and materials would actually make you feel good and then you put them together yourself? I did not sew the garments myself. So I'm a home sewist, but I'm not a professional sewist. And there is a big difference that there's machinery that you don't have at home that is really what's required to make things as durable as possible. A home sewing machine is great, and it's great for making a lot of clothes, 
But when it comes to clothes that are intended to be truly durable, it just doesn't cut it. You need to have an industrial machine. And so I, what I did was I started with the drawings and I focused on the design elements that I knew were needed. And I started also with the sourcing, connecting with fabric mills that made fabrics that were environmentally responsible, that were also durable. And a lot of trial and error there trying to figure out which are the, the right materials that are going to work. And so I worked with a seamstress to do a few initial samples to see if we could find that right fabric first, kind of never mind the getting the stitches exactly right in the beginning, but let's see how the fabric is. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started to work with a factory to ensure that we were using the most durable stitching as possible. Wow. Cool. So this was like, you said your son is 10 now, and this was like around when he was four. So you've been doing this for like about five, five, six years? No, actually, it was an idea that was percolating for a pretty long time before I actually jumped in and decided to do it. So I noticed the problem when he was four. I didn't start thinking about the business and really taking it to the next level until I moved from the United States to the Netherlands. And that was three years ago. I moved here, promptly had a baby, (laughs) and took a little time to just be mom. And then when my baby was getting a little bit older and I was getting ready to start thinking about work again, I started to explore what Jackala would look like, explore what the designs would look like and whether there was a need for this. So really, I didn't launch the company until just over a year ago. Okay, wow. But I was kind of quietly working on bits and pieces of it for probably a year before that. Yeah, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of that. There's a lot that goes into that with the research into the all, all of it, the materials, yeah. the you know places to get it actually manufactured and all of the logistics that go into everything. Yeah, it's very, very time consuming. And especially if you want to do it with, the standards that I wanted in terms of ethics and sustainability, you know, anybody can find a factory that will make a garment. Mm-hmm. They may not want to work with you because you're a startup, but it's a lot harder to find a factory that's willing to work with small minimums, a factory that gets the sustainability aspect, that gets the ethics of it. And then oftentimes, particularly if you're a small brand, you're sourcing the fabrics yourself. Larger brands, larger factories will do the sourcing for you. It's kind of included in what they do. But when you're starting out and you're focused on keeping production small and lean, then you really need to source the fabrics yourself. And so that process is actually quite time consuming to find the companies that are making these great materials, doing so in an ethical and sustainable way, and willing to sell in smaller quantities. Yeah. So how did you go about trying to start finding, like, where did you find the first materials that you decided to go with? Is that like a, a Google search? Like, like, are you finding yeah. that? Like you start kind of seeing like, okay, where you know, like searching for like ethical fabrics or things like that? Or is there more to, like, what does that look like? There's a huge world of sustainable and ethical fabrics. You have to start by knowing what fabric you want in terms of kind of a general area because there's too much to just search for you have to narrow your field so do you want to be working with natural fibers 
Do you want to be working with recycled fibers? Do you want to be using cotton or hemp or tensile? Every fiber has its own properties. And so when you narrow the field, that's going to give you your first kind of entree into like, okay, this is the community of makers of mills that I'm looking for online or at trade shows. So there are trade shows that you can go to, to connect with fabric mills. The bigger ones are always going to be focused on bigger brands and therefore larger minimums. Mm -hmm. But you can find these kind of online expos for sustainable fibers. And I did find my mill through one of those. So I spent a ton of time searching on Google looking for organic cotton, particularly organic cotton twill, which is what all of our clothes are made from. Okay. And then from there, I was able to find a company that was very transparent about their sourcing. And that's the thing that was really important to me. It wasn't just like, does this have an organic certification, which Mm -hmm. itself is important, but how much are they sharing with you about where the fabric comes from, how it's processed, how it's milled. And I found a company that I'm really happy with. In part, because not only do they have the highest level of certification, but they also support NGOs on the ground in the countries where the cotton is grown to ensure that folks are having their daily needs met, that they're learning sustainable agriculture practices so that they have more resources for themselves as time goes on. And they also use renewable energy in all of their processing. So it's really as you know, close to carbon neutral as a virgin material can be. It'll never be truly carbon neutral, but you know, it's doing as good a job as it could. Wow. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I mean, I think there's just it's it's like having small kids just feels like it creates so much waste. And I think, I mean, obviously that's kind of like a little bit of an excuse that we can make, fall into and make up for ourselves, but because obviously there are alternatives at least now, but mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely, I'm definitely guilty of like, you know, picking up a $5 t-shirt at Target and, you know, they wear it for like three weeks and then they outgrow it. And I'm pretty good about giving it at least, you know, hand me downs and not just like throwing it away. But like there's so much of that. Like it just seems like with kids, they outgrow or break stuff so, so fast. And and I'm always like, okay, well, this is a stage of life. You know, we're not going to be like this forever. It's kind of just like a necessary part of life right now. But I love that you're, you're just like, no, no, it doesn't have to be. (laughs) You are not gonna, you are not gonna just take that and accept that and have it be. And you found a way to actually change it and create things that are actually making a difference and, and actually giving people clothes that are going to last longer. But also, as you just said, like having an impact even beyond just the person who's buying the pants or whatever. So that's really, really cool. Thank you. I I have to say I was in very much the same position that that you are and that I I did do that. I went to Target and I bought the the item that the kid was going to wear for a few weeks. And it wasn't until I started looking into this into creating this business and really learning this industry that I realized how big an impact that really does have on the world. I mean, when you look at a t-shirt, for example, 
if it's a t-shirt that has spandex in it, that can't be recycled. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no way to recycle a t-shirt that has, has spandex in it. Anything that is from stores like Target, Old Navy, those items are not, most often not going to be accepted by a store that sells secondhand garments. So if you don't have a friend that you can hand it down to or a relative, then there's really not a pathway for those clothes to be reused. That's, that's a good one. Oftentimes clothes are bundled and shipped off to Africa. That actually is a for-profit system. So you think that you're donating it to charity, but really it's actually a for-profit system that's sending clothes to Africa. Mm-hmm. And those countries, particularly in Central Africa, Rwanda stands out in particular. They don't want our clothes. It disrupts their local economy. They want our secondhand clothes to stay where they are. And so that's a big part of why with Jackalo, I design everything so that it's going to last, so that after it's done being used, it will have resale value and be something that actually can be resold. And when you know, a kid outgrows it, you can send it back to us and we'll wash, repair if necessary, and resale the garment for you and give you a discount on your next purchase. Wow. The idea being that we can keep clothes in use close to home for as long as possible and make, you know, high quality organic clothes available to more people by selling our returned clothes at a discount. Wow, that's amazing. So is that like from your website, like people can buy the used versions as well? Not yet. So because we're still new, we haven't actually posted those for sale on the website yet. Um, We're waiting until we have kind of a critical mass. Clothes last so long, you're going to have to wait a couple of years (laughs) for the first (laughs) kids to be outgrowing them, I guess. Well, yeah. And, And also what we find is what I would hope to see, which is that people say like, oh, I'm just handing them down to my next kid. So we, I have customers who, you know, have a kid who at this point would logically have outgrown the garment. And so I reach out to them and offer the trade up. And I have had people take advantage of it. But I also have people who just say, well, I've got multiple kids. This is going down to the next kid, which is great. That's what I want to happen. But yeah, when we have more of a critical mass, then we'll have all of them photographed and posted for resale on the site. And that's something that I'm hoping to do within the next few months. I'm really excited to get the resale side of our trade up like off the ground. Yeah, that sounds like such an amazing like second aspect to the company and to the shop because... I mean, I don't know. It's just such a good idea. I just think these clothes make so much sense if you, especially if you have multiple kids, as you were saying, like, because you know, they're going to last through at least a few kids. So you could keep yeah. them, you buy them one time and it, and it makes the investment in buying good, like quality pieces make so much sense. If you know, you're going to have them for like 10 years and go through like three children and they're going to hold up and last and and be something that is useful for that whole time. That's yeah. so great. Absolutely. And I saw like on the website, it says something like, you know, this much water is saved. Yeah. Like if you buy this pair of pants or something, like what is, is that, that's part of the, all part of the sustainability mm-hmm. of creating these products, I imagine. Yeah. So I actually, I actually won a competition with a company in Canada called Green Story. And what Green Story does is they do a life cycle analysis 
of garments or other made items. And then they communicate the impacts of that life cycle analysis through your website. And they help you communicate clearly to people who are interested in your products about them. And so what they look at is how our garments are made in the locations that they're made as compared to conventional. So they're taking into account the water usage, but also the electrical grid and all of the factors that make our products more sustainable than a conventional item. So when it comes down to it, you're saving a ton of water by purchasing the clothes from Jacklo as compared to conventional, meaning cotton. So it's equivalent, but not organic. And so mm. non-conventional, non-organic cotton is a very water thirsty plant. The organic cotton that we use only uses water in the seedling stage. The rest of the water used is what's whatever is in the natural environment. So you're not watering the plants at all. And that's a huge impact because it saves so much water that people would be drinking in the local area. And we all know that, you know, even in, in the United States and California in particular, there's a ton of drought happening that has a huge impact on the quality of life of individuals. And we don't want all of that to be going to, um, to cotton production. And so when we focus on organic cotton, particularly organic cotton grown in a way that allows us to minimize our water use, that really helps out people in the communities that are surrounding uh, the farming. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Well, how, I want to I wanna, um, hear a little more about like your day-to-day like what does the back end kind of of the business how does that work I know you mentioned that you're in the Netherlands Mm -hmm. and that you started this once you were there so tell us what that's like like what is it like to run a business from there because I know you're not from there initially and also like how does that work with the, the company in terms of like what's taking place in the Netherlands if people are sending back the clothes are they sending it to you or you know what does your team look like to help you support help support you and all of that stuff? Yeah, so I operate the business out of the Netherlands, but because I'm American and a lot of my customer base is in the United States, I keep products split between the Netherlands and the United States with the intent being that you're getting a product from wherever is closest to you if it's in stock in that location. Oh, wow. So, you know, U.S. customers, for the most part, are getting products shipped from within the United States. And if they return something, it gets shipped to the United States, too. So it minimizes postal costs, but also the like shipping overall. Mm -hmm. And then from a day to day perspective, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, I think anybody who's familiar with starting a business knows this, that you end up doing a lot of everything. So not only am I working on the new collections, uh, doing fittings of designs, I'm also working on marketing and, you know, communicating with uh, press and all of that. You know, I, I do a, a lot of it on my own. And then I hire out for support along the way because, you know, I think anybody knows that it's impossible to do it all yourself and to keep going. And, you know, I, I take heart in wise words that have been said to me about, you know, business being a marathon, not a sprint. And you can try to do it yourself for as long as possible, but you are going to burn out. And so I really try to take advantage of 
folks who are really excelled in their field to support me wherever I can. So because I didn't come to this work as a trained designer, you know, when I'm doing designs, I always have someone who is a trained designer do the technical drawings and make sure that the measurements are correct and all of that so that we're working together to keep the products moving. And same kind of thing on the marketing end that I can do a lot myself, but I'm not a perfect marketing whiz at everything. And it's always important for me to have support in that regard. And so I really value the freelancers that I, that I work with. Yeah, that can be, I mean, I think, especially in these days, it's so easy to find somebody who specializes in like whatever. I mean, obviously like those are kind of, I just feel in, in whatever you're looking for, like even if it's something so specific or niche or something, it's like there's someone yeah. who does that and there's someone who you can pay to help you out with that a couple hours a month or on a one-off project or whatever it is. And to take advantage of the ability to, to have that is so huge. Absolutely. Especially when you still kind of do want to have your hand in everything and still kind of need to still have control over everything because it's mostly you, but know that you have that expertise. Absolutely. And also I feel really good about the fact that when I'm doing this, I'm supporting women and mothers who have found that a traditional employer doesn't work for the lifestyle that they need, that there's so many people who need a bit more of a flexible work environment and aren't getting that in a traditional workplace. And so they choose to go freelance because, you know, businesses aren't catching up as they need to. Yeah. And so when I can support someone who is building a career as a freelancer, that feels really good to me. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that aspect of it too. And you have still, you said one of your kids is still four years old, right? And the other one is 10. I have a three-year-old and a ten-year-old. Oh, three. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) So, so do you still have like a little one at home most of the time, or is she in in some kind of school or preschool situation now? He goes. He goes to a nursery school. Okay. So he's he's in nursery four days a week, and then the the fifth day he's at home. So you have you have a certain amount of uninterrupted time to work on on work, but obviously you're still kind of in the middle of young children. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when when you're trying to shut off your work brain and switch to parent brain. But yeah, it's, it works out really well. I feel like we're very fortunate in that, you know, my older son goes to a great school and is now at an age where he's fairly independent when he comes home from school. And the little one loves the nursery that he's at. And so we have a good childcare situation for them both. And that allows me to like sit down and focus and really be just about work during the day. And then when they come home, you know, I do what I can to shut off the work brain and be more in the mom zone and, you know, just dig in deep and enjoy my time with the boys. Yeah. And that's, that's such a special thing that I think is probably like, that's one of the best parts about running your own business and and having it be your own thing. Yeah. Do both. You can do both. Yeah. And I, and I value that like they are seeing me grow this business. The other day, my son's teacher was telling me that they were talking about, um, entrepreneurs in the classroom. And my son had perked up and was like, my mom's an entrepreneur. 
And oh, one of his classmates actually modeled, he and one of his classmates modeled for us. And so he was excited to share that they had modeled for us. And it was really sweet. And I love the fact that he is seeing me build something from the ground up, you know, something that's really directly inspired by him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having that example of someone who's taking a risk and building something on their own. And I think that's a valuable lesson for any kid to see. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think he's going to, I mean, I love that he perked up by that. I think he's going to be so proud of you. I mean, even only, only more so as he gets older and kind of understands a little bit more about what that means and that it's a hard thing. It's hard. It can be harder to start your own business than to work for someone else and all the things that you did to make it happen. That's something I think about too. My son is only four, so he doesn't, I don't think he gets it really at all, but (laughs) he's like, you're always working. But at the same time, you know, I think he does realize that actually I pick him up every day after school. He doesn't have to go to the after school program. And, you know, I'm always there and I'm always able to go to the stuff at the school or whatever it is. And because I can mostly set my own hours and yep. I think as he gets older, he's going to realize like, oh yeah, that's actually a cool thing. Like it seems like maybe you're always working because you know, the computer's never far away, but on the other hand, you've built something and it's, yeah, it's special and important. And I think it's really good for them to see that. Yeah, totally. And and I think he'll get there. He'll get, he'll get to that point where he sees the value of it and gets that you are making choices that keep him front and center too and keep you really fulfilled and doing the thing that you love. And that's just so important. Yeah. And and I think by the time they get bigger too, it's, I think it's become more common for people to start their own businesses. Or as you said, like the freelance world, like people can do, people can sell anything they want to do basically. And by the time they get older, it's, it's almost going to be like the norm, I think, but they're Mm going to, it's, it's, so it's not going to even feel maybe like, out of reach or, you know, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, like I could definitely do this too. Like my mom did this and, and now it's like a thing too. So (laughs) I think, um, yeah, I think it's going to be cool. I can't wait to see what, what it's like when they get a little older. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty awesome for them. Yeah. And I was going to ask where the name of your company came from. Is that based on your kids in some way or something like that? No, it's not. It's actually from a British playground song called Hilo Jackalo. Like oh. when you think of, uh, for me, when I was growing up, we always did Miss Mary Mac where you're like mm-hmm. hand clapping game. So yeah. this is actually, it's a British hand clapping game, but I chose it because I wanted something that felt fun and playful and, you know, just distinctly youthful. And Jackalo is that to me. Yeah. I like, well, it's, it's just like, has a good, like, sound to it. I like how it kind of rolls off your tongue and sounds fun to say. And now that you mentioned that, yeah, it gives you the idea of like playing hard on the playground and just like having fun singing, playing, and maybe skinning your knees on the ground. Like and your pants rip. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. That's perfect. So what do you do you have any plans? I guess you're still pretty new, so obviously this is all still 
like happening for you, but do you have some, so not to put any pressure on you at all, but do you have plans for like what you see happening more in the future or where, where else you want to take it? Or are you kind of just trying oh, to yeah. you know, figure out what you're doing for now? <laughs> no, I've definitely got the, the long-term vision. So my long-term vision, I've always been really inspired by progressive companies like Patagonia and Eileen Fisher who really have taken circularity in their business operations to the next level. And so right now we're really small and, you know, when clothes get sent back to us, we'll, you know, wash and repair them. But what I'd really love to to do is anything that's beyond um, the point where it can be repaired, take it into its next life and upcycle the garment. And when things can't be upcycled, I would like to have the materials recycled into fibers that we can use in our own production. Um, So the aim is to minimize our use of virgin materials down the road and be incorporating our own fibers into the future production rounds. That's several years off. But that's really where the vision is that I that I want it to be completely circular, and I I kind of frame it under this question: you know, what if kids' clothes could last forever? And I don't necessarily mean that the literal garment is going to last forever, but the materials that go into it can be remade into a new object, into a new article of clothing, and kept in use for really as long as possible. And what can we do to get there? That is so cool. I love that. <laughs> so you're literally just like making something new out of the other stuff and not having to even bring in new materials at all and not creating any waste. That's and, the vision. Yeah. And like passing things kind of like from one childhood to the next, like this thing that got worn so much from my kids that it can't even be salvaged to create, to, you know, be fixed and resold is going to actually have a whole new life as a whole new garment for somebody else's kids yeah. later on. Like maybe even like my children's children or something. Totally. There's a great children's book called Joseph Had a Little Overcoat. And the premise is that this guy has an overcoat and it gets old and worn and then he makes it into a jacket. And then that gets old and worn and he makes it into a vest. And then that gets old and worn and it keeps going until he's got nothing left. And then he writes a book about it. Hmm. And I love that ethos that whatever something is, when it's worn out, you can do something with it. And so how can we do something with it and ensure that it's something beautiful that you actually want to wear? So I'm not talking about, I mean, if you go and search on, you know, Pinterest or Etsy for upcycled garments, Some things are going to be nice looking, but there's a lot of stuff out there that is not something that most people are going to want to wear. No offense to the makers. Everybody's got their own taste. But I want these to be things that kind of meet a certain standard of style and are not going to be just looking like something that is only made from patched together clothing. I want it to look great still. And so how can we use style as well as the environment to guide our upcycling? Yeah, that makes total sense. I think, yeah, you want people to still actually 
enjoy it even yeah. in these next next iterations and not totally. just feel like I'm buying this just because it's yeah upcycled or something it's, yeah right wow that's so cool I love that you have such a long-term vision for the company and like really went into it with obviously so much thought and like research and ideas as to what you can turn it into and what it can become over time I think that's I don't know. That's so exciting. And I think that's really cool. Well, I loved the premise of the lean startup and the idea that, you know, when you go into a business, it doesn't have to be every single thing you want it to be eventually. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get hung up. I mean, you see the lean startup model used in tech all the time with a kind of minimum viable product. But what does that look like in whatever industry you're in? How can you learn from the idea of starting somewhere with your vision of where you want to go and kind of trial and error until you get there um, and maybe even pivoting, but knowing that where you start isn't where you necessarily want to end up. You want to be testing the idea and you're learning from that. And then you can morph that and add the components in that to be where you ultimately want to be. And so I really use that as a guiding principle that like, I know where I want to be, but I know it's going to take a lot of time to get there. That doesn't mean I shouldn't be in business now. I should be in business now selling these garments that are beautifully made, that look great, and that kids love and parents do. (laughs) And as they come in, then we can start saying, all right, how are these looking as they're coming back? You know, are they still in great shape, which for the most part they are? And seeing how we can ensure that like our initial designs are, are great all along the way and that we are working towards this larger vision of a circular company. Yes, I love that. I think that's so good because I think that's so important in business. And I say that all the time too. Like you don't want to be, you don't have to have everything figured out before you're getting started because you can just then plan and plan forever and spend so much time trying to figure out everything you'll need to get to like where you actually want the business to end up. But then you never actually take the steps to start getting there. And that's the important part is just starting somewhere and then everything else kind of, it's going to take time no matter what. So you might as well get the things going that you can and then work towards the other things. Yep, absolutely. Did you ever read uh, Playing Big by Tara Sophia Moore? I don't think I did. Should I? Yes, you should. I highly recommend it. And it's very much geared towards women. And things that she outlines in the book is how typically when women want to go, whether it's into business or, you know, on that next adventure in life, they start out with, well, do I need to go back to school to do this. Mm, yeah. Always feeling like you're not there yet. You need to learn something more before you can do something. And yeah, you want to go into your field informed and educated, but know that plenty of other people, men in particular, would probably just jump right in. And your 80%, your 80% prepared is probably way better than what they're jumping in with. And so go for it. Like put that fear in the backseat and focus on action. And that perspective is something that's been really, really valuable to me that I'm a super nerd. 
And I could easily have just said, okay, well, I'm going to, I want to do this thing. I'm going to go back to school for fashion design Mm -hmm. and do two years of education um, or go back to school and get a business degree and do another two years of education. But instead, I decided to surround myself with people who can help me quickly learn what I need to learn in order to make the steps I need to make. And when you move forward in that way, you give yourself the opportunity to, to learn a ton, but to keep your, your action moving. And if you don't keep working on it, then the energy to move forward will go away. And in many situations, going back to school is not necessarily something that will propel you forward. It's something that will just kind of slow you down. Mm-hmm. And there are always opportunities. I mean, the MIT's entire like first year of education is available online for free. You know, there's so many educational resources that are available online for free. And if you feel like you need that finance class in order for you to be a success, great, take it online, but don't slow down the rest of the train for that. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn things while you're doing things Yeah, and, and not spend two years, as you said, in school where you're going to end up just coming up with more questions and more things that you're going to want to then look into and learn more about and not actually have even started by the time you're by the yeah. time you've gone through it all. I think that's so valuable to hear you say. And I think, I think I have that same mindset, I think when it comes to business, like let's get started at least and figure things out and you'll, you'll end up figuring out so much more and learning so much more from, from the doing and from seeing what it is that you don't know and what it is that you do either need more help with by hiring someone who can actually, who actually does know it or which things it will actually be valuable for you to learn yourself and have to look into more, which then you can do as you're running your business and as you're doing the thing. Exactly. Yeah. You can always go back to school. If you feel like it, if like you've started out, you've learned what you can and you feel like you're hitting roadblocks and you really think these roadblocks would be solved. If I spent two years in this environment where I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep on whatever the topic is. And make the connections I need to make in a school environment and learn the techniques there. I'm not saying, you know, I'm someone who has two master's degrees, so I'm not saying school is bad. I'm saying know when you don't need to go back to school. Know when school is just a stall tactic. Right. I was going to say, don't use it as a reason to not start or a reason to, yeah, to to stall and put off the real thing that you want to do. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that makes such good sense. And that kind of um, merges into, I guess, one of the questions that I always ask um, everybody when they come on, which is, well, there, there's kind of two things. I always say, what is one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first began your business? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, the thing I'd wish I'd, I'd known more about was, honestly, the this is not a business area, but a life issue, a lifestyle issue. I wish I'd known about the sleepless nights more. I mean, people talk Mm -hmm. about it, but I didn't really internalize how often you'd be, or I, I would be waking up at 2am thinking about the lists and lists and lists of things that Mm -hmm. need to get done. And I have taken to keeping a notepad by my bed so I can just write it down 
and put it away because I think part of part of what happens to a lot of people is that you just keep thinking about the lists. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's written down, then you can let it go and forget get about out of it. Your head, yeah. Get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper where you know I'm not gonna forget it. It's written down on the piece of paper that I always turn to. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I wish I'd been a little bit more prepared for how how exhausting that was going to be and, and how much work I needed to do to really create some self-care around that and ensure that I was, as I said before, you know, treating this like a marathon, not a sprint mm-hmm. and ensuring that I was protecting my body and my well-being so that I could be in this for the long haul. Yeah, because it can be harder to build that stuff in once you once you didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, too. And then you're like, wait, I need I need some things for myself, or I need some things for actually like my body to make sure that I'm going to be able to keep running. But when you're already used to putting everything into the business or structuring your days without that, it can be harder to add it back in. Yeah, I'm very grateful for my dog who demands some exercise. You know, that it, you know, if if it was just me, I could be pretty lazy and not get the exercise I need, but because she's there ready to go out for a morning walk, I try to build self-care around that whether it's just, you know, listening to a meditation app while I walk her or making it a run for myself and getting some real exercise in there or just going somewhere beautiful when we walk together. You know, all of those things are really helpful for me in ensuring that I am, you know, taking good care of myself so that I can, you know, take good care of my family and my business and all the other things. Yeah, uh, totally. And the other thing that I like to ask is, is there one thing that you would like to share with other entrepreneurs as they start or are going along their journey? I would encourage everyone. I joke that Tara Moore should be like paying me for all of the advertising I do for her. But I really found that her book was one of the best books that I've read on business for women mm-hmm. um, is really for me a game changer helping me learn to look for feedback from the right sources. Not everybody is going to be the person you turn to for feedback. You know, how to focus on your vision and moving towards that and putting fear in the backseat because starting out in business is always incredibly risky and learning how to handle uh, the fear that comes with that is a critical part of being able to move forward. And her book has been one of the most valuable resources for me in that. Awesome. Wait, can you say what the name of that book is again? So people could write mm-hmm. it down. Yeah, it's called Playing Big. And it's by Tara Sophia Moore. Okay, awesome. I will put that in the show notes. So everyone can be sure to check it out or add it to their Amazon wish list. Yeah. I love that suggestion. I'm always looking for new books. And I don't think I have read that one, although I think I have heard of it. So definitely going to look into it. And it's great as an audiobook too. I often find that I'm a big fan of audiobooks for nonfiction. Like give me a novel, a paper novel at any time. But when it comes to nonfiction or something that's more kind of broadly in the business or self-helpish category, I like listening to that. And particularly when the author reads it, it feels much more personal. And so she reads it herself and it feels like you're talking to like 
a cool sister that you didn't know you had. Oh, cool. Yeah. I never, I didn't even think of that aspect. Actually, I don't, I've never gotten into audiobooks, although I love podcasts and stuff. So I'm sure I would like it. I like to hear people talk. About yeah. It. Yeah. But um, anybody but, who likes podcasts will actually like audiobooks too. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. But I'm always like, oh, I don't have time to listen to my books. Like, I'll always, I always imagine that I'll be like interrupted so many times because I mostly listen to stuff only when I'm in the car and it's never more than like 10, 15 minutes at a time. But if I can do that with podcasts, I guess I could do that with books. So maybe I'll try. And that's that. often like a that. chapter, you know, 10, uh, 15 minutes is typically a chapter. So you think about it as like a series that you're listening to. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. I, I think I am going to try that actually. Like, I like that. Um, I like the feeling of actually hearing it from her, from the person yeah. who wrote it. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Can you um, just tell everybody where they can find you online, where they can buy the clothes or connect with mm-hmm. you personally? Yeah, so we are online at hellojackalo.com and our handle for all of the socials is also hellojackalo. And we're on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, all the places. And yeah, you can feel free to reach out to me there. And yeah, I'm happy to connect. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on today and telling us about all of this. I think it sounds like such a cool business. I love your whole mindset around it all. And I hope people are going to check it out. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast so you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes with your favorite takeaway from this episode. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and other links are always in the show notes and we're always happy to hear from you with thoughts, ideas, or even suggestions of someone you'd love to hear me talk to on the show. You can also submit guests online at polinapr.com slash podcast. Lastly, please drop a comment on the post for this episode on the podcast Instagram at Female Millennial Entrepreneurs to let me know you listened. Tune in next time.